I think we can all identify with this saying. Yeah, sometimes when I open my mouth, my mother comes out. Or maybe my father, you know, we find ourselves saying some of the same things, you know, to our children or maybe to others that we heard our parents say to us. Um, Because I said so, that's why. And for the record, that is a legitimate reason. Uh, It it really is. I mean, you understand that as a parent, you don't as a child, you know, because our parents know a lot more than, than uh, you know, than we did. They've been through stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, or this one, you know, you want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. Or just eat it. It's good for you. Or <laughs> if you don't stop that, I'll rip off your arm and beat you at the bloody end. Maybe your parent, maybe, maybe your, I hope your parents didn't say that to you. Uh, it was actually one of my sisters that used that phrase. Um <laughs> But it is one I remember. Uh, one of the things I remember my mother said was, um, you do what you have to do. You, know, you just do what you have to do. And by that she meant, uh, you know, you not only take responsibility, you take responsibility for your life, but there's no sense in whining about this because, you know, we, you just do what you got to do. Sometimes life isn't always pretty. Sometimes it doesn't always fit together as we wish it would. Sometimes it isn't always pointing in the direction we wish it would. But, you know, you you do what you got to do. My mother said that, and she lived by that as well. Um, You know, and and Jenny and I, you know, and my kids have heard me say that before. Jenny and I say it to each other. My sisters and I still say it to each other. And uh, (laughs) I have to work something out here. Uh, You know, but... You know, we find not only that we say some of the things our parents said, we also do some of the things our parents did and do them maybe in the same way they did. We use Tide laundry detergent at my house. My mother used Tide laundry detergent, and it is the best. So I just, just you know, don't come up to me later and tell me how your inferior brand is, you know, just as good or better than Tide. I just, you know, it's, it's, um, I don't care how good you think your off-brand is. Um, some of us have parents worth emulating, you know, worth, <clears throat> worth uh, living like they did, worth, you know, saying some of the things they said, doing the things they did. Some of us have parents that are worth that. <clears throat> some of us don't. Some of us had one of each. I had one of each, you know, uh, um, my mom was worth emulating. My dad left. That wasn't worth emulating, and I don't know much else about him. So you know, you know, the, you have we we have that in our lives. Uh, here is the thing for us today. You know, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and by that I mean if you're a Christian, and by being a Christian I mean that you have a relationship with Christ. We just talked about this at communion. You know, then your father, your heavenly Father, should be the one coming out more and more. He's the one that we should emulate. You know, God should be coming out in your living more and more. When you open your mouth, God should come out. When you interact with other people, God should come out. When you face a challenge, God should come out. When you do your daily routine, when you do your job, when you meet opposition, when things aren't going well, in the daily things of life, in the daily things of living, God should come out. That's who, that's what should be coming out of us. We're going to look at this a little bit more and you'll see where I got this from, I hope, as we go, as we go through our passage, but let's pray. 
Father, you are such a gracious God, and when I think of, of how much I mess up and yet you continue to love me, I'm just really grateful for the God you are. I don't ever want to do something that would give somebody the wrong impression of you, my God and Savior. I thank you for the guidance of your word, the direction we get from it. Now we're going to be looking at it. We're going to be spending some time, I hope, gleaning from your word. And uh, we really need you to make that real for us. I need you to be the one to speak to hearts today. I can never transform hearts, but you can, and I'm very grateful for that. For the transformation of mind, for those before us here, continue that process now. Unfold your Unfold your heart that we might see it much more clearly, much more fully than ever before. And to see ourselves in light of it, that you might be the one coming out of us. Hope that to be a a more consuming reality for us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 1085. If you're in a pew Bible, page 1085. And again, if you're using a different uh, translation, I'm going to be reading from the Holman Christian Standard. It might be worded slightly different. The uh, Holman Christian Standard is the one in the pew there before you. So if that confuses you, I'd encourage you to use that. If you're not confused, go ahead and use what Bible you have or, you know, the uh, what's on your phone or your iPad, D-pad, whatever pad you have, um, and and do that. Now, we covered the first three verses of this section. You see, we're going to read verses 12 through 17 again. We covered um, verses 12, 13, 14 last week, so this is really the second point of last week's sermon. Um, and when I, I don't know why I ever thought I, that this was one sermon when I was doing it, um, uh, because it just it wasn't going to happen. Uh, but what we see in these verses, their qualities, their characteristics, you know, and conduct that God tells us to put on. You know, he says to put these on. And to put on means things that should be obvious in our living. That's what, you know, put on is things that are obvious in our living. This is in your outline already. You know, it's printed. I, I filled in some of the blanks for you from last week, and, you know, you'll have a couple new ones. But uh, this is already printed in there. You know, so what we have are, you know, calls, directions to make these things obvious in our living. Now, I'm going to read all six verses, you know, so we get the flow and the connectedness, uh, you know, of these a bit more. Beginning in verse 12, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Therefore... God's chosen ones, holy in love, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if, any, if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Now, those are the ones we covered last week. Verse 15. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. 
Now we started this last week by looking at, at what, it, what it means that we are chosen people, holy and loved. You know, these are, these are words that were used to describe God's people in the Old Testament. It, you know, particularly Israel, but you know, they're now applied to all of those who have a relationship with Christ. That we are chosen people, that we are holy because of God, that we are loved. And again, we covered this last week. If you want a little bit more on it, you, you can, uh, um, get online and listen to the sermon. You know, but we're on the winning team. Remember that. We are on the winning team here. We start from this favored position. Of, of being chosen people, holy, loved, on the winning team. We start from this position. We are not on our own. This is the position we start with. And from this favored position, we are told to put on these qualities listed in these verses here. We're not, we're not expected to simply give a mental assent to them. Not simply to say, you know, that, yeah, yeah, you know, this is what they are to be how we live. They're to become how we live. Put these on, he says. Make these obvious in your life. This is what he's saying. Now, I divided it into two points. The first one we covered last week, it deals with our character. And we said that our character directs our conduct. Again, this is printed in your outline for you there. Uh, it, our, our character directs our conduct. And we simply went through those those character traits there that, that uh, God had Paul highlight, and we tried to apply them to our living today. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. And above all, he says, above all, man, you should circle that. And if he says above all, in other words, ding, 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 this is important here, you know. Above all, he says, put on, you know, put on love. Now, they're not only in your outline, they're in your Bible, and that's more important. And they should be in you. They should be in you. These are some of the qualities. If you have a relationship with Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, these should be in you. Because he tells us to put these, to put these on. So it's not just that they can read them in the Bible, but that they can read them in you because they are going to read you long before they ever pick up this Bible. They are going to read you and what's going on in your life and what you're doing and what you're saying and how it's how it's unfolding there. Now, when you look at these here, these are mainly internal qualities. They're an inclination of our heart, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's mainly the way I look at these. Today, we're going to look at the other traits of our conduct that we see in verses 15 through 17. You know, the inclination of our heart directs our actions. You know, so conduct flows from character. Our conduct flows from our character. It, it, it's there. It, it, it comes out. You can't, you can't help it. You know, you, you, you might be able to hide it for a while. You might be able to fake it. You know, you might be able to, 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 to pull your actions in line in certain places. You know, I've, I've, I've never had any of you cuss me out in church. I have been cussed out on the porch by other people. But, um, you know, the, so you see, we, we can pull those things in line, in line pretty easily in, in some settings, in some places. Uh, you know, but what your character is, your inner leanings, they will find a way to work themselves out in your conduct. They will show in your conduct. They will be revealed. Now, we're not talking about occasional conduct. We're talking about that conduct that is the real you. Uh, you know, for what you're known for. The type of person you're known as being. You know, what comes out of you. 
how the majority of people see you. This is what we're talking about here. How it is the majority of people see you. Now, through Paul, God gives us several traits of conduct here that should be a regular part of our living. A regular part of our living. Notice what he says. Let the peace of the Messiah control your heart. Let the peace of the Messiah control your heart. Control, uh, setting the direction, having sway over, uh, you know, to set the tone. You know, it's control. I like the way one of the commentaries translates this verse. It says, let the peace of God be the decider of all things within your heart. That's William Barclay. Uh, uh, Dr. West called him our favorite heretic. But, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, let the peace of God be the decider of all things. The decider of all things. Let it control your hearts. The peace that comes from Jesus Christ should be in control of our life. It should be control of our living. Notice what it says. The peace of the Messiah. The peace of God. Not, not, not the peace of the world, you see. The world has a much different standard. Now, when I talk about the world, I'm talking about, about those who, who don't recognize or follow God. That's what I'm talking about. And it's not, it's not that, they may run congruently sometimes, you know, they, they may, we, we, we should be nice to other people, you know, we, we, we shouldn't shoot and kill other people, you know, we, we should care about what happens to those who, you know, who are, who are oppressed and, you know, we should care about those things. So sometimes those run in, in peril, but it's not peace at all cost. That's not what it's talking about, about here. There is a cost to peace. Jesus said the world is not, the world is, in this world you will have trouble. Claim that promise, you know, we just don't do it. In this world you will have, the King James, you will have tribulation. You will have problems. He goes on, he says, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. He doesn't say you're going to bypass all that stuff. What he says is you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Because you see, there is a cost to peace. And he tells us what we're to have is the peace of the Messiah. Now, this doesn't mean that we never get upset, and we may even occasionally live from that upset state of mind. Key word there, occasionally. That shouldn't be the way we normally live. We shouldn't normally live from this upset state of mind. You know, when you're upset, that is a terrible influence on our decision-making. When you're upset, don't make any decisions you don't have to. Uh, the um, it, when I when I talk with people and you know they and they say you know sometimes what am I going to do? Don't do any more than you have to at the moment, at the time. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Elvin and Sharon met with some doctors, you know, and the doctors uh, gave them some some upsetting news, you know, and uh, and Sharon's physical health they gave them some upsetting news, and you know. Said this is you know we, we need to do so we need to we need to take care of this and you can get upset and you can start making decisions and and what you say you know when when they like, when they you know first told me I had this tumor in my head and I'm thinking take it out it's there it shouldn't be there take it out 
You see, and but when when we're upset, it's not that time to make decisions. You know, Elvin and Sharon then went on and, and consulted with some other doctors and stuff, and found out no, there's a different way. You know, a different way to handle this, different way to take care of these things. Because what we do when we're upset, sometimes you see what we what we begin doing when we lack peace, we respond emotionally, and our 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 emotions can run contrary to God, and, and you know, and can run contrary even to what sometimes is common sense. Have you ever seen a calm person screaming at the top of their lungs at someone else? Or is it someone who's being controlled by anger or frustration? We make poor decisions and we find ourselves saying things and doing things we would never say and we would never do if we took a moment to think about it or if we took a moment to pray. In the midst, in the very midst of his most anxious moment, Jesus took time to pray. After the final Passover meal, what we refer to as the Last Supper, where Jesus said, whenever you take the, whenever you, he, he broke bread and he said, when you do this, remember me. He took the cup and he said, whenever you drink from this cup, remember me. And at that last meal, that final meal there, hours before his arrest, hours before his trial, and hours before his crucifixion, you know, Jesus took his disciples to the garden in the Mount of Olives. And here's what happened. Luke chapter 22, verse 41, it says, Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What you see there are words of anguish. What you see there, I think, are words of an anxious heart. Now, you know, sometimes that runs contrary to what we think about Jesus. But, you see, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't make decisions from there. What he says, you know, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, even though his circumstances and every ounce of his humanity were screaming... You know, we're we're screaming against it. He yielded to the Father's will here. In his humanity and as he walked this earth, you know, it says that he was was fully God and fully human. And in in his humanity, he knew this was going to be a painful death, an excruciatingly painful death. He knew that he was going to be rejected as never before. He knew what was going to happen and what was going to happen. And, and with all of that, with his, with his humanity screaming against it, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He knew his father's will was best. Maybe not easiest at the moment, but best. And he knew that the Father could be trusted even in the midst of what Jesus knew was coming. And it was going to get worse, much worse. And even in the midst of that, you know, he knew that he could trust the Father. And notice what he does. He steps aside, he takes time to pray and pour out his heart to his Father. And he regained that peace. He regained that peace that he needed to live in. And how he needed to live. And he told his followers, including us, what we need to do to get that peace back. A little bit later in chapter 22, verse 45, it says, He got up from prayer, came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from grief. We've been there sometimes. We just, this has got to go to bed. I can't stand this anymore. 
If I could only fall asleep, this would all go away. And we've been there. And it says that he, he got together and he saw them exhausted from grief. And he came and he said, why are you sleeping? Because that wasn't the answer. He says, he asked them, get up and pray so you won't fall into temptation. I was living through some of this this week. I don't always like it when I have to live through the sermons. You know, I was living through some of this this week, and I was just wrestling to, to regain, to regain that peace, which was, which sometimes it's the quirkiest little things that will set you off. I was so grateful I was studying this. You know, I just said, you, know, you take that time to pray once again. You take that time to pray. Now, do you suppose that if Peter would have taken a moment just to step aside and pray, do you suppose he would have pulled out that sword and whacked whacked off the servants here when Jesus was arrested? If the disciples would have taken a moment just to step aside and pray, do you think they all would have ran and fled and abandoned Jesus at the moment he really needed a friend to be there with him? When we don't take a moment to regain the peace of Jesus Christ, we also act, we often act impulsively and even live in ways that deny the faith we claim to have. Let the peace of the Messiah control your hearts. Now, we need to make sure it's the peace of God and not the peace of ignorance. Sometimes it's, you know, the, the peace of ignorance just because, you know, we, we, we don't know or, or the peace of callousness. Where we don't care. Where we won't let it come through to hurt us. You know, or, or the peace of being accepted by others. If you remember the story, the biblical story of Jonah, he had peace as he ran from God. Jonah was a prophet of God and Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the people you didn't want to go to because they were not only their enemies, they were savages. They were savage enemies. You know, the way they would treat, the way they would, they would, they would treat their, their, uh, their, their enemies was, was abhorrent. You know, even, even to our society where there's so much that goes on that you kind of wonder if we would ever be shocked anymore. The way they treated, and, and this is who he's told to go and, and, and speak to, go and speak to Nineveh. And, and, and in reality, here's what, here's what, uh, here's what Jonah said. They can go to hell. Because he didn't bother to go and talk to them. And he would have loved their destruction in hell. He would have loved that. And so he ran. And as he ran, it says he got on his ship and he, you know, he took off in the opposite direction, a ship for Tarshish, the opposite direction of where Nineveh was, where he was supposed to go to. And he was trying to get as far away from what God had called him to as he possibly could. And it says that a storm came up. And as the storm came up, Jonah was sleeping because he had the peace of a calloused heart. He didn't have the peace of the Messiah. He had the peace of a calloused heart. And so he was sleeping. And the sailors are all upset and stuff, and they see this guy sleeping and they wake him up. Dude, hey, tell me what's going on here. You know, it must have something to do with you. And Jonah says, well, in reality, boys, I'm running away from God. You are? Oh. They grab him and they toss him overboard. I think that false peace 
all of a sudden left Jonah when he was tossed overboard into the raging storm. You see. So we can have, we can have a peace that comes that, that isn't, that isn't from God. We have to make sure that we have the peace of the Messiah controlling our hearts. What you let control your hearts directs your conduct. Matthew chapter 15. It says, from the heart come the evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. You know, this is what it, it's a heart problem. What we have going on in our country today, you know, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And if people don't want to follow God, they're going to do stupid things. They're going to do sinful things. From the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. Proverbs chapter 27 says, As water reflects your face, so the heart reflects the person. Your living reflects your heart. Your living is a reflection of your heart. He said, let your heart be controlled by Messiah. Now, don't miss the phrase in the middle of, of Colossians 3.15. It says, you know, and the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body. Let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. The peace of the Messiah it can control our hearts and redirect our living. Romans chapter 6 says, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, used to, at one time you were. You don't have to remain there, is what he's saying. At one time, although you used to be slaves from sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. From the heart. This is the third week in a row that we're reminding you. This is a heart issue. Fourth week in a row. This is a heart issue we're talking about. A heart that needs to be committed to God. You know, we need to pray. We need to surrender to God's will. Seek his guidance in the Bible. And with others, it says, to which you were also called in one body. We need to seek that, you know, together with others who have a commitment to Jesus Christ as well. You know, and to make sure that God's peace is the peace we have. Now, we spent a lot of time on this first phrase, but it's important. It's pivotal in our, in, in our living complete in Christ. It's sorely lacking in too many Christians. The peace of the Messiah isn't what always controls us, and we need to have that peace of the Messiah control us. Without that peace, we're going to continue to struggle. The last two words in verse 15, and be thankful. Be thankful. It pulls us back to chapter 2, verse 7. If you have your Bible open, just flip up there real quick. You know, chapter 2, verse 7, uh, well, verse 6. It says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, live that way, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Remember, we talked about, when we were talking about it that week, what does overflowing take? Constant input. Without constant input, you know, it doesn't overflow. As it goes in and it's more than you can, then it, then it, then it overflows. Some of us aren't thankful because we don't have that constant input. And he says, overflowing with gratitude. You know, we're rarely thankful enough, particularly towards God. We are rarely thankful enough. And we give too much credit to our own effort, too much to our own wisdom. And we think that we're the ones who work this out. We seem to forget that our abilities come from God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
Well, I got all this stuff because of my hard work. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Well, I got all this stuff because I came up with this good idea. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Well, I got all this because I... it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Be thankful, not only in your thinking, but in your expressed outlook, in your living. At least part of that means to stop complaining about what you don't have. You know, to, to stop complaining about those things you still want or you still desire. To stop complaining about the things you do have. Oh, my lousy job. I just drive this old clunker. You know, it, it, it's, we, we could simply say stop complaining. Because if you're complaining, you're not thankful. Isn't that right? If you're complaining, you're not thankful. If you're thankful, then you're focused on what you do have and not on what you don't have. That focus goes on. Verse 16. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you. The message about the Messiah, that's what's in the Bible, the Word of God. Jesus made this made it very clear. The Old Testament speaks of him in Luke chapter 24. He says, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's, their old, that's the Old Testament. That's their Bible. Moses and all the prophets, to them, that was the, that's the entire Old Testament in their minds, in their thinking. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The Old Testament is about Jesus and the coming of the Messiah. They didn't know his name was Jesus at that point. They didn't know that he was, they didn't know the exact person. All they knew is of the Messiah. And the Old Testament speaks over and over and over again about the Messiah. The New Testament saturated with Jesus, his life, his teachings. That's, you know, to dwell is to comfortably reside, to be comfortably at home. God's word should be comfortably at home in our living. Comfortably at home. That means we aren't, we aren't afraid or embarrassed to talk about it with others. We'll talk about God and his word with others because it's comfortably at home with us. And, and when we do talk about it, when we do talk about it, those we're talking to, they don't find it odd because our life is in harmony with it. Comfortably at home. It's comfortably at home with us. He says, let it dwell richly. Richly brings a picture to mind. It, it, it's something that's obviously present, not, not, a, not a scarce amount. Uh, you know, it, it's something that's definitely easily noticeable. It's an easily noticeable presence. So what it is, it's living, you know, so the message about the Messiah, so that the word of God is what is clearly gives us our direction. That's what he's saying. Make, it, make sure that the word of God is what clearly gives us our direction. Not the opinions of man, not the standards uh, of society, not the values of the crowd, not religious rules, not philosophies of man, but the word of God. Now sometimes, you know, some of these things, the opinions of man, and sometimes they may be right and good. Good is determined, though, by the word of God. Good is determined by the word of God, not by what's acceptable in society. It's, it's, it is not a democracy, it is a theocracy. A theocracy is where God rules. A democracy is a pooling, and don't be offended by this, a democracy is a pooling of ignorance. 
A democracy is, you know, just ask everybody what they think, and that's what we'll go by. A theocracy is we will search God's heart and seek after God and see what God's heart wants. And that's what he's talking about here. You know, the, the point is that we clearly and unquestionably live directed by God's word. Many people who, who say that they have a relationship with Jesus, they don't live with the word of Christ dwelling richly in them because they don't take time to read the word of God. They don't take time to study the word of God. They don't take time to memorize the word of God. If you want it to dwell richly in you, you need to be reading it, studying it, memorizing it. You need to know. And you say, well, I can't memorize things. You can certainly get the gist of things. Without that connection, the word of God, you cannot live out the rest of verse 16, which says, teaching and admonishing one another with all, in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, wisdom comes from God through the word of God transforming and guiding our life. That's where wisdom comes from. You know, teaching and admonishing is in line, you know, and from our own exposure to and living by faith in the Messiah. You know, that's what it is. It, it's teaching and admonishing, you know, because of our own exposure to and living by that word. Teaching and admonishing, notice it says, with all wisdom. Not, not in anger, not in frustration, but with God's wisdom. That's the attitude of a heart transformed by God. So singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Our, our singing should be from the heart, not just from our lips. Pay attention to the words you sing. And sing. Don't just stand there. You say, you know, but I don't like singing. Guess what? It's not about you. It's not about, it is not about you. It is about God, who he is, and what he likes, and how we grow in our relationship with him. It's not about what you like. It's about being able to express a heart to God, and what he likes, and, and what he calls us to, and growing in that relationship. We are expressing our gratitude to him, the audience of one. He is the audience that we are singing for. It's not to make us feel good. It's not to, you know, to, to bring all these warm, fuzzy feelings. It's to express our heart and our gratitude attitude to God. Now, in case you're thinking something else should have been included in this list of traits here, uh, that brings us to verse 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, he says, whatever it is, do everything. In case you left something off of whatever it is, there's everything. Do everything. Everything you say and do. All of your living should be as a representative of God. That's what he's telling us. All of our living should be as a representative of God. Not, not, never a time where you're not. Because he's talking about who you are. You know, whatever you may be saying that misrepresents God, stop saying it. Whatever you might be doing that misrepresents God, stop doing it. You know, if some part of your living is not in line with God's character, if something you say or do violates the forgiveness, the love and peace of Jesus Christ and what he came to bring us, either change it to reflect his character or remove it from your life. He tells us to put these things off. That's what we looked at a few weeks ago. Put these off. Whatever it is that's not reflecting the character of Christ, get the, reform those and change them and transform them and bring them in line with Christ or get them out of your life, he says. Don't just stop misrepresenting God by what you say and do. 
begin to do more and say more that truly represents the character of God. He's not just asking us to be quiet. He's asking us to be godly. He's asking us to live as his representative. And he brings up giving thanks to God again. This is, I mean, this comes, has come up over and over again. You know, if we're not speaking and living, you know, from, from thanks to God, then recalibrate your living and bring it in line with that. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our identification is with Jesus Christ, you know, and we belong to him. We live in and under the authority of Christ. Who he is should be coming out in all we do. All our words, all our actions, you know, all our living motivated by thanks to God. Not motivated by frustration, not motivated by anger, not motivated by jealousy, not motivated by envy. Whatever you do or say, everything we say or do should be motivated by our thanks to God. Character directs our conduct. A person is refined by their relationship with Christ and conduct flows from your character. A person is transformed by their relationship with Christ. Don't don't confuse being moral with being a Christian. But you can't be a Christian if you ignore morality. A person whose character is refined and their conduct transformed by a relationship with God will be living that relationship with God. When you open your mouth, when you take any action, God will be the one coming out. Let's make that our goal. Let's pray.